One of the most frustrating and uncertain things that I experience on a regular basis, maybe you can relate to this, is attempting to purchase something online and decide which one I want to purchase based solely on the stars reviews that people have left. You ever experienced this? Because one guy's like, five stars, worked great, perfect, it was awesome. The very next result is like, one star, this was terrible, it showed up, the box was broken, there was nothing inside but some used double mint gum, like that's all that was in there. And one star, and you're like, I don't know if I should buy this or not. It's so hard. We put so much stock in what people say about stuff. Uh, we put a lot of energy into understanding endorsements and testimonies and, uh, and people's reviews and even sponsorships of things. When we look at a product, we're like, okay, who else is using this? Do I know someone who's using it? Uh, have I seen someone famous use it? Does it feel like quality based on what someone else has said? I, I, I'll give you an example. Let's look at this picture. You guys know this guy? You got a picture? There he goes. I'm gonna tell you something. Brett Favre knows how to pick out a pair of jeans. And if you don't know who that is, that's former professional football player Brett Favre. And this guy, he, if he's wearing jeans, I'm gonna wear them. Look at him, he's got a truck, he's got a dog. Like he knows how jeans are supposed to fit. So that, you know, that's, like, that's, how, that's how endorsements work. You look at athletes and they're saying, you know what, I drink this kind of uh, drink, I drink Gatorade. And you're like, you know what, I think I should drink Gatorade. I don't know why. It's got uh, electrolytes. I don't know what electrolytes are. Maybe they're good for me. I think I'll eat them. And so we really need people's reviews, people's endorsements. Why? Because in other, if we don't, we, we haven't experienced it. And we don't know if it's good or bad. And when it comes to spiritual things in life, unfortunately, people still do that. It's unfortunate in one way. You know, one of the number one reasons that people decide they don't wanna be Christians or don't go to church, you know what it is? There's too many hypocrites. It doesn't work. Maybe you've said that in your life. Maybe you've been a part of a group that you're like, I'm not sure that the people around here are genuine about what they're doing. That's unfortunate. It's the review that's been left through their life of what the church has been in them. Now, but there's the fortunate thing. I could show you dozens and dozens and dozens of people who said, you know what? I actually became a Christian because of that person's example, because of those people, because they actually live out the stuff that they say that they believe. The reviews, the testimonies, the personal experience that we get to see in other people's lives tell a lot about what God means to us. And so as we get going today, we're in this week four of the Grass is Greener series. For the past three weeks, we've been talking about some of the things in life that we, uh, we, we have a hard time finding contentment in. The, the subtitle of the series is Discovering the Secret to Contentment. And there's some things that really bring us down and we're really discouraged about and we can't be content about. Today we're gonna shift gears. We're gonna do one more week of this contentment thing next week and we're gonna talk about one more area of our life where we can find some secret to contentment. But this week as we continue, we're actually going to take a step back and we're gonna, we're gonna stop being the victims of discontent. Notice my big air quotes, victims of discontent. And we're gonna see what does it mean for us as human beings to be some of the solution for discontent. How can we make a world a better place? How can we reflect God's light in a way that's gonna help people find contentment in their life? And I couldn't think of a better way to do this than pairing today's lesson with our annual Compassion Sunday. You know, if people could see us giving genuine compassion in our life to the people around us in need, they would look at our lives and say, that is the type of life I would like to have. That's the review of Christianity that I was hoping for that is the kind of God that I always wished was there. 
And so before we get into today's Bible text today and understand compassion, let me just back up a second and and talk a little bit about Compassion Sunday. Uh, Compassion International is an organization that's all over the world, and they have been around for about 60 years. And what they do is they go into some of the poorest areas of the world, and they partner with local churches in those villages and small areas. And in fact, more recently, they've actually gone in and planted churches in those regions. And through those local churches, they're able to connect with the families in the region and bring all kinds of care to these individuals. Uh, just share some statistics for you because the, the, the need is real. Right now, according to some measures, about 600 million children are living in extreme poverty today around the world. What that means is they're living at less than $2 a day to survive on. You couldn't get a Happy Meal for that. Every other day you could get like some Happy Meal. You know, and so they're not having the medical care that they need. They're not having the nutrition that they need. They're not having access to clean water, let alone things like education and emotional care and all kinds of other things that go along with a healthy life. They don't have any of that. 600 million. That's a huge number, but I just want to kind of put this in perspective. At the last census in 2010, America's population was about 300 million. Just twice the population of the United States of America are children living in extreme poverty. The need is real. An additional statistic that's a little bit mind-boggling is that according to some counts, about 18,000 children die every day because of poverty-related situations. If you don't have access to clean drinking water or good nutrition, your body can't survive. We just saw these little babies up here, and, and just think about how much nurture and nutrients it takes for a young human to get big enough, you know, to sustain life. 18,000, those numbers are big. They're actually a little bit paralyzing. I look at a number like 600 million or 18,000 and I'm like, what can I do? Maybe you're familiar with the parable of the starfish. You know this parable? One day, a man was walking along the beach when he noticed a little boy gently picking things up and throwing them into the ocean. He approached the boy and asked, what are you doing? And the boy replied, I'm throwing starfish back into the ocean. The surf is up and the tide is going out soon and if I don't throw them back, they'll die. Son, the man said, don't you know there are miles and miles of beach and hundreds and hundreds of starfish? You can't make a difference. And after listening politely, the little boy gently picked up another starfish and tossed it into the water and he looked up at the man smiling and said, I made a difference for that one. See, When it comes to these huge, staggering numbers, it can be paralyzing, and we can say, what can I do? But Compassion International, their mission is to come in, and though the number is staggering, they say, we're going to do it one child at a time. I want to celebrate it. Look at on their website this past week. It looks like that to date, right now, there are about 1.9 million kids that have sponsorship through people like you and me. They set up a system for $38 a month. You can sponsor a child and provide for them their medical needs, their basic first aid, food, access to clean water. They'll be plugged into a local church community where they'll have some some community beyond just the basic physical needs that they have. They get vocational training as they grow up. And it's amazing. I've seen for my, with my own eyes a compassion center in Ecuador, and they really, really care about these families. They're not just nameless, numbered children. They have names. And right now here in our room, maybe you saw our little uh, display over there on the wall or on these two tall tables between the communion tables. We've got packets. This morning we've got 31 packets, each packet representing a real child in Bolivia. 
If you don't know where Bolivia is, you can Google it real quick and figure it out. It's on the western side of South America, and uh, it's an area that needs a lot of help financially. The majority of the finances lives in the upper 1% of all the people that live there, and everybody else down there is, is living in extreme poverty, a, a, lot, a lot of people, high percentage of the population. And the kids that we got today are what they call high-risk or, or priority children, meaning that they've been in the system for a good while and they haven't found a sponsor yet. So every year, we take a Sunday to just pull back from what we're doing and focus on these children. At Venture Church, we have a phrase that we've used for many years. We say, hashtag kids matter. And they do matter. These babies that we prayed for this morning, they matter. And the kids in Venture Kids and the, behind this wall, they matter. But children around the world matter to God. And we've got the resources to help them. And so I, we'll talk more about that later. I want to get into our text this morning and talk about the concept of compassion. But I do want to lay it on your heart to consider what it would look like for your family to pick up one of these packets today, pray about it for a day or two, and then decide, yeah, we're going to sponsor this child uh, with our family. Um, I, I want to take a look at this video of the joy of sponsorship. So just turn your eyes to the screen and check out this video. It's really fun for me to kind of step into my sponsored girl's world. He still draws lips and says, I'm giving you a kiss all the way from the Philippines. As I grew up with Yesenia, I kind of learned more about her and we became like really close friends. We pray daily for all these children. Every night before bed, the first thing that kids want to pray for is our sponsor kids. Realizing that this is going to be a long-term relationship just fires me up. It's funny, like I'll go on runs and I'll see little, little lizards running across the, the sidewalk and I'll think, oh, she would love to hear about that. It's been life-changing for us and our family and now our little girls, uh, who are five and three, they get to also now write letters. Um, I actually started sponsoring as a single person. Now it's a family affair. We'd been married about a year and a half when I lost a baby, and so that's when we started sponsoring. And when that packet came, I walked 10 blocks all the way down to where he worked to show him that little packet. Reading their letters and how full of hope they are just touches my heart. When I get to heaven, I'm gonna be blown away by what a big deal sponsorship was for some little kids. The need is enormous, but our God is so much bigger. You know, compassion is one of the defining characteristics of God. Uh, today, as we talk about being the solution for discontent in the world, I want to learn what it means for us to be people of compassion in this world. And so, you know, as God came to earth in human form, Jesus Christ, one of the biggest things that we saw from him was compassion. You can look at a couple of scriptures here. In Matthew 9, 36, we see that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In Matthew 15, 32, it says that Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. That was the day that Jesus did a miracle and fed 4,000 people which is a different miracle from the time he fed 5,000 people. Amazing stuff, all driven by compassion. In Matthew 20, verse 34, Jesus encountered two blind people. And in verse 34, it says that Jesus had compassion on them, and he touched their eyes, and immediately they received their sight and followed him. I want to give us a definition to work on from compassion today. And this is just Chris's unabridged dictionary version of compassion. You can look it up. There's some really good definitions out there. But this is one that I've really held on to. Compassion is this. Compassion is a gut-deep feeling of caring for someone enough to take action. 
The word that's translate compassion often comes off this idea of, of just gut-wrenching. And, and when you see someone, you're like, I gotta do something. We got several, several foster families that are part of our church, and I just see the things that they do, the above and beyond that they go to foster children and to have to be respite care homes and also be places where, the, uh, where they can take in temporary care, short-term care. And I just see the, the gut-wrenching process that goes on for them. Like, I got to do this. I look at my brother Jason down here, and he's working with Vigilant Hope. He works uh, with the uh, community downtown who are financially not well off, many of them homeless. And I just see the energy that that organization puts into loving people who are in bad situations. And I just see the gut-wrenching. They're like, you know, I got to get up early and go talk to them. It's raining. We got to get our friends in a dry place. It's cold. We got to get them some socks and a sleeping bag. And I think there's something in each one of our lives, and we see that there's this like twist in our stomach, but the key part of that definition is it, it does something in us that makes us take action. And I don't want to downplay the power of prayer. Prayer is a beautiful, powerful thing. I think it's one of our most powerful tools in our spiritual toolbox. But sometimes we just step back and go, you know what? I need to pray about that. But when you look at the example of Jesus and the apostles and the early church and the Christians around the world who are making a difference in people's lives, they do pray about it. And prayer is their backbone, but they also put their feet to the pavement and they go out and they do something. And though today is Compassion Sunday and we're going to have an opportunity to look at these packets and talk about these children, I just want to challenge us to be a people of compassion. We live in a city full of darkness, a city where tens of thousands of people don't have a church home to call home and they, they don't know where they stand with God or maybe they're in a place where they're like, I'm intentionally standing in opposition to God. And that's, that's a darkness in this world. And we have this light, this message of truth that we can take into their lives. And we need to see that and go, my gut twists in knots for those people. How can I be people of compassion? Compassion, it's an attribute of God. It's one of his primary characteristics, and it's something that he calls us to. We always look to the Bible for our, uh, our answers to most important questions and God's truth. And so this morning, we're going to be in the book of Colossians. If you've got a Bible today, go ahead and grab it or flip it open on your phone. Uh, it's a little darker in here than normal uh, because of the storm, uh, but hopefully you can see pretty good. We also got Bibles that we give away for free over there at a shelf by the door, so feel free to go and, and grab one of those if you want, and it can be yours to keep. We're going to be looking through Colossians chapter 1, and it's going to be kind of a quick view through this passage. We've actually talked through this passage several times, and if you've got questions about it or more that you want to dig into, I'd be glad to talk more about it. But as we look at Colossians chapter 1, we're first started out being reminded by Paul of what it means for us to be in God's grace and what that means for our life. And so let's just jump in and see what he says. He says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the head, right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And with Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Have you ever had something in your life that you were so single-mindedly focused on that you just couldn't accomplish anything else because you were just so, so, so focused on it? Uh, that happened to me in my life this week. I've got a, a, an issue with, with my truck. I'm working through trying to get the air conditioning on because it's hot and I want air conditioning in my car because I'm a spoiled American and I don't want the windows down. I want it to be cold air blowing on me, right? And so for several weeks, I've been troubleshooting and I got down to the, 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 the bottom of it and I figured out what was wrong, but it involved taking out my entire dashboard. If you've ever taken a dashboard out of a car built in the mid-90s, I'm just going to say 
you're, you're top notch for me. Like you're one of my heroes because that's not an easy job and I've done it twice this week. And so I get in this thing and it's like, I knew it was so much work ahead of me and I knew I wanted to get it finished before it gets really hot in Wilmington. And so I've been single-mindedly focused on it. Like every spare minute I got and I'm out there with like a light working in the dark and I used most of Saturday yesterday working on it. Single-mindedly focused. And maybe you've had a, a thing like that in your life. It was something you were saving for because you wanted to buy or maybe it was a job that you really wanted or a relationship you were pursuing. You have a single-minded focus on it, and I'm not going to get anything else in front of that. The deal is, if our minds and our hearts are set on something, we will do it. But if our minds and our hearts are not set on something, guess what? We ain't going to do that. Because there are so many other things that get in the way and distract us. Paul reminds us, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. We've been in this series on contentment, and admittedly, there are times throughout the year where I do what I call a felt needs series. It's like, these are things that I feel like everyone kind of, it's a need that we feel. And sometimes we'll be like deep in theology, and sometimes we'll be going through a book of the Bible, and sometimes we'll be doing a character study or something like that. But every now and then we just pull these things, it's like, this is just simmering on the surface for most people. And contentment is one of those things. But contentment is also based somewhat in selfishness, isn't it? or earthliness, like the stuff I want of this world. A lot of it is. And this advice comes straight out of the Bible. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Why? Because those things fade away. We talked about that a lot last week. But the heavenly things are eternal, and they really matter. Single-mindedly, Jesus set the example for that for us. You know, he loved me and you so much that he, he gave up the splendor of heaven and he became human being. Why? Because it was his priority to give us a way back to God. And while he was here, he lived sacrificially and he gave up of himself so that other people could have. He fought temptation and he did not sin. That's huge. He was so focused on his mission that he set the example of what it looked like to fight temptation and win. And it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross the joy of his mission, to bring us close to him. And he had us on his mind as he goes through the cross. And I just think the biggest part of seeing that his single-minded focus was there is that he completed the work of the cross. There were several moments where he could have just walked away, snapped his finger, Thanos style, no spoilers, and said, if you don't get that, you don't care about nerdy movies, I'm sorry. Um, I got distracted. And God said, I'm not going to give up on this. Jesus said, I'm going to stick to the course. I'm going to do it. I'm going to see it through to the end. He was focused. You might be someone here today who, you know, you don't know where you stand as far as what you believe about God, especially about Jesus, particularly about Jesus. And you believe that someone rose from the dead? Really? I get it. That's a lot. And it takes faith. And there's evidence that we can study. And there's all kinds of things that we can get into if you want to talk about that. But I, here's what I want you to know. You have a God who is for you. And he was single-mindedly focused on making a path between you and him available. And you know what drove that path? His compassion. The gut-wrenching feeling when he looked down on this world and said, I got to get down there and do something about that. We keep on going. In verse 3, Paul says this, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Before you know Jesus, you have certain focuses in life. But after you know Jesus, there should be a transition. There should be a shift. There should be a moment where we say, that's not me anymore. 
And I love this very stark language. You died. Like death is, is pretty permanent, unless you're Jesus. He said, you, you died. that part of you is gone, and now your life is hidden with Christ and God. You have a new purpose, a new focus, and that shifts the way that we interact with the world. You know, as the world looks into my life, it's important, and that's scary. It's scary to think someone looking into your life, because I've got moments I'm not proud of. I've got things I don't want to stand on stage and talk about, but as the world looks into our lives, they need to know that I can say I, I'm not perfect. But it's by the grace of God that I'm going to focus on him with my life every day. And when I fall short of that and I trip up and I stumble, I'm going to try to get back on that path and keep my eyes focused on him. And when people begin to see that, remember we started out talking about the reviews of your life. And people look at you and go, oh, you know what? They're not hypocrites. They're just normal people, just like me. And it's not by their own good deeds that they feel saved. It's by God's grace. And from that place of vulnerability and transparency, people can understand that they can trust us. Remember, we're not, we're not the victims of, compa- of, of, uh, of discontent today. We're trying to be the solution. So what do we do? The first thing we do is we make a change. I'm just going to read this passage. I said this is one we're going to kind of go through quickly. This is verses 5 through 10. Paul says this, So put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as this. And then he like keeps going. Like that was a big blanket list of things that we need to rid ourselves of. Just want to clarify. We live in grace. We say, hey, I'm not perfect. But the goal is to avoid the things that are opposed to God. And so this is a list of those things. It's not that we just get to get the grace card every day and be like, I do whatever I want. <laughs> he, he gets more specific there in the second half of verse 8. He says, so rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which has been renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. As people look over the fence from their life into yours, to use our grass is greener analogy, I'm just questioning, do, do they look into my life and do they see a lawn that's being maintained by God's grace? Or do they see a lawn where I'm just letting all the old weeds from my old self continue to be there? All the trash and junk and cars with no wheels on sitting on cinder blocks. And like, you know what I'm saying? I'm talking, it's a metaphor, right? I'm in this thing and people just see that and like, you know, he hadn't changed at all. He's not even trying. His mind still seems to be focused on earthly things. And for us to be the solution, like Jesus is the solution, but for us to reflect that light, we've got to do those things and the hard work of cultivating our lawn and getting rid of that stuff that Paul lists here. But listen, he says, take off these things. And I, you know, I don't know about you, but when I'm changing clothes, the transition goes like this. I take off the old outfit and then I put on something new. That's generally how it works, right? And that's what Paul is saying here. You should put on these things. Look at verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion. Now there's a list there and we're gonna read them. I think it's awesome that the very first word in that list is compassion. Clothe yourself with the desire to look out into the world, see the hurt and brokenness, have a gut-wrenching feeling to say, I need to take action. 
because people are hungry for that. Clothe yourself with the compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another if any of you has grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. I could do a whole other sermon right now just about forgiveness. But these are things that we should put on because we've taken off the old self. We begin to put on the new self. And you know what we begin to do? We begin to look more like Jesus because these are the traits that defined his life. And guess what? You don't have to do it by yourself. When you accept Jesus, he comes into your life. When you go into the waters of Christian baptism, when you make this shift of obedience of power in your life, God's word says that we are forgiven of our sins and we're given the gift of his Holy Spirit. His power in our life to aid us in this transition to aid us in the taking off of the old and putting on the new, to, ta- to aid us in the pulling of the weeds in our yard and so often sending other people into our life to help us do that. There's so much we could unpack, but the big idea today is what does it look like for us to be a people of compassion? Setting my eyes on Jesus, throwing off the things that get in my way that distract me, and clothing myself with the attitude and the character that reflects what Jesus is doing in my life. And what's the very first thing on that list? Compassion. Developing a gut-deep concern for people that leads me to take action. I believe that one of the biggest roles of the church in the world, and if you look back through history, the church has had some embarrassing moments. But you know one thing we've also done? We have unleashed compassion. Hospitals, schools, orphanages, going into places that are broken and hurt. There were times during uh, major plagues throughout Europe's history where the only people that stayed behind were Christians, and they just said, this was just my job. I have to do it. This is what happens when God comes into our life, and we recognize the gift we were given, and we say, I want to pay it back to the world. Compassion. So today, I have two simple challenges. Well, Simple is a relative term. Saying them is simple. Doing them, maybe not so much. But this is my challenge. No matter where you are in your faith walk today, you might be a place where you're like, I haven't, I haven't signed up for Christian yet, uh, so get up off me. I want to challenge you with this too because I think it'll make a difference in your life. I think it'll show you what it means to live the heart of God. But if you are a proclaimed Christian this morning, we need to be people who are clothing ourselves with compassion. First challenge. First challenge. Who in your life is someone that you need to start developing a gut-deep compassion for. There are kids living in our city who are living in food insecurity. That means that they go home after school every day and they don't know if they're going to get a meal. There are neighbors in your neighborhood who's, who need so much, just, they just need companionship. They're lonely. They are so lonely. And, you, and don't, don't think of them as, you know, crazy, creepy old Jim that lives down there. We don't even know that guy. He's always quiet. It might be that he just has nobody. And there's a reason for the way that he's acting and the way that his yard looks or whatever. We have people in our city who are living in homelessness. I saw a gentleman this morning, and he was sleeping literally on the corner of Kerr and Market and, like, laying in a sleeping bag on the corner. And I'm positive he just woke up. And, um, like, clearly there's a lot going on there. But I'm like, I had the thought, like, what, is, what does it mean for me to go meet that guy? How do I do that? I mean, just pull my car over one day and go talk to him, I guess. You know, like... When we see this need in our city, in our communities, in your family, you got people in your life who are going through you know, divorce 
or they're stuck in addiction, and what they really need is for somebody to get down on their level and say, look, you're not alone in this. That's the challenge. I'm gonna leave it open-ended. What does it mean for you to go gut deep and take action? The second thing is something we can all do this morning. Uh, around the room, we have these two, two tables. And in a minute, we're going to do what we do every week. We're going to have a time of reflection. And I want to let you know, if you're new here, if you're just kind of developing your faith and it's weird for you to get up and do something, you don't have to. You can stay in your seat and take some time to pray or, or just sit quietly and reflect on what was said. But there is going to be a moment where a lot of people are going to get up. And while you make your way to communion, or maybe even before you do that, I want to encourage you to go to these tables. We have 31 packets of children from Bolivia, each packet representing one child. And here's what I want to happen. I want all 31 of those packets to disappear off that table in the next few minutes. Now, caveat, I recognize many of our families, I think close to 50 of our fam, like in, I think there are close to 50 kids being sponsored through our small church families. That's, that's pretty awesome. So you might be in a place where you're like, I, I can't afford another sponsorship. Uh, that's okay. Or you might be in a place right now where you're like, I just heard about this today. I don't, I'm not ready to jump in on some, like, this isn't like a uh, timeshare sales pitch. This is a chance to see the face of a child in Bolivia. So as you pick up a packet, you don't have to, you're not committing to sponsor the child at the moment. What I want to encourage you to do is go back to your seat and spend a minute looking at their name and praying for them. I see some family units here. Maybe you can turn in with your family unit or you're here with a group of friends uh, that you just are friends with from church. Turn in if each of you have uh, a packet. Um, Take a second, one person maybe pray for all the names of the kids out loud. I would love, all of our volunteers got together this morning, we prayed over every single one of those packets by name. And I would love to do it a second time. That's the first challenge of that. But I also want to ask you, as you look at their face and as you hear the stories, and we talked last week about generosity, is it possible that you've got room in your life and in your budget to sponsor one of these kids? $38 a month until they're 18. Takes care of so many needs. This is the way you do that. You can keep that packet. I think it expires on like June 2nd or something. You take it home. You've got between now and then to there's some paperwork you can fill out. And you can mail it in. You can get it going, and they'll get you right in the system. They'll keep up with you. Or if you decide next week, you know, I'm not going to do it. We're going to have these packets for a few weeks. You can bring it back, put it on the table. That's fine. No harm, no foul. That's fine. If you just pray for them once this week, that'll be a win. Uh, or if you just keep it, and maybe they expire on June 2nd, they'll go back into the system. It'll be okay. They won't get lost. These are kids in high need, and I would love to see all of their names prayed for this morning. When we do these types of things, and we become people of compassion in the world, both publicly and privately, you know what Jesus says? He says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, I say this all the time, in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. Several years ago, my family started sponsoring a little girl from Ecuador named Mirly. I was totally unprepared for what that would do to my family. Almost every single night as we do family prayer time or I pray with my kids individually. Uh, by the way, parents who are like trying, like, you know what, I'll never pray with my kids. This is a great way to do it. We, we just pray for Mirly. It's a way to start. Sometimes we will forget to pray for Mirly, and one of my kids will be like, hey, we forgot to pray for Mirly, and we'll go back. <laughs> we'll pray again. And throughout the last several years, we've been able to correspond with her. And she's grown up, and her handwriting has gotten so much better. And she's a really good artist. And she draws us pictures and colors them with crowns or colored pencils. Compassion uh, scans it all in and sends it to us and translates it because she writes in Spanish. Uh, through the Compassion International app, I'm able to write her letters and uh, write from my phone. And it goes right to her. And then they translate it, and she reads it. We've been able to send her pictures of our family doing things. And she sends us pictures of her family doing things. And it's an amazing, amazing connection. Compassion will allow you to eventually go visit your child if you're able to line it up. 
and I hope one day to get to meet Merrily face to face. That's just our story. We started out talking about testimony. And I just gotta tell you, anytime I choose compassion over selfishness, I gotta give it five stars. (laughs) Because it's always the win. It's always what the world needs and it's always what I need. That's my review. And I hope that you find it to be true too. Let's pray.